Well, good morning, friends. It's great to be together to worship and praise the one, as Ben has reminded us, who's called us to come to him through faith in Jesus, as we are drawn by the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we necessarily feel that way, right? But we trust in God and his work in that. I'd like to begin this morning by inviting us into a place or posture of prayer, an attitude or an approach. You know, when we think of the word posture, we might think of a teacher or our parent telling us to sit up straight or quit slumping when we walk. But it's more than this. It's our, it's our attitude, our position of engagement. If we were to think of sports, for example, we stand in a certain way when we're playing squash or racquetball, tennis, we're running or walking. If we're going up for a layup in basketball, there's, there's a, an approach, there's a posture that we take when we're in that position. Catchers in baseball, they crouch. They don't stand waiting for a ball to hit them in the sternum. They're ready to receive the ball, coming at them very fast from the pitcher. So here's the posture I'm inviting us into this morning. Even if this isn't your thing, it's okay. But join anyway. One of the oldest Christian prayers begins with the words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me. Mercy, the Bible tells us, is that mercy is one of the chief characteristics of God. Bryant Golden puts it succinctly when he says, even though we deserve judgment, we ask God for patience. And he gives us something even better. God blesses us with pity, compassion, a canceling of our debt, and our offense against him and others, a complete and total mercy through our trusting faith in Jesus Christ. And we see similar words throughout our liturgy, the words of our worship, which are steeped in Scripture, because good liturgy is biblical liturgy. So if I was to say the following words to you today, Lord, have mercy upon us, you would probably respond with, Christ, have mercy upon us. And then I would respond and say again, Lord, have mercy upon us. So friends, wherever we are, let's pray with our posture, our hearts and minds, perhaps even your bodies, this prayer, this approach, this posture. Lord, have mercy upon us. The words of that prayer. Be one of anticipation. Request. A call out. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. So, Father, we thank you 
for your unending mercy you have shown us in and through your grace in the life and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to come back to that from time to time so that way you can't sleep this morning. This morning we want to zoom in and take a closer look at the section of the Gospel of Luke 18 that Pastor Ben read just moments ago. As a reminder, Luke is in the last section of the Bible, the New Testament, which begins with Matthew, and from there we follow Matthew to Mark to Luke. Big 18, big numbers, 1-8, and little verse 9. I'm not trying to be paternalistic, it's just good. I forget this all the time. And it's, uh, it's, it's embarrassing for me when I get the wrong page in a Bible study. You can find this in your Pew Bible, and you can also, if you have an app on your phone, follow along there as well. So in Luke 18, we have a number of parables told by Jesus. Parables being short, kind of allegorical-like stories to teach or to illustrate or to embody a truth about the kingdom of God and how followers of Jesus are to live as citizens of this kingdom as they follow Jesus in faith and trust in obedience. So let me read those few verses, Luke 18, 9 to 14, and then we'll go back and look closer. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, wanted not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus concludes in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. So let's go back. Let's just break it down and interface our hearts and minds with this. Jesus tells the parable to some who trusted in themselves that were righteous and regarded others with contempt. So what does this contempt look like? Have you ever got a look of contempt? Have you ever been in a, maybe an argument or a discussion or whatever you want to call it with somebody and suddenly they look at you with contempt? I mean, I've done that to others. I, I, I mean, I know I have because I've had to seek them out later and say, I'm really sorry about that. You must, must have seen it in my eyes. But it's this, it's this idea that we, um, there's a condensation in us. There's a judgment. There's a scorn. There's a disapproval. There's a sense of this up and down, us and them positioning. tax collector. I'm sorry. The two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
Pharisees, I think we know, were often considered the most pious people in Palestinian Jewish communities in that day, in those centuries. And tax gatherers were, of course, the most appalling, the most despicable, considered traitors to their own people because they often stole money for the Roman taxes and then padded their pockets with extra. So to get a grasp of this group, we want to maybe think of it within our own parish community, be like a respected layperson or a respected uh, pastor like Father David, for example, versus the person who comes in, steals the wine in the sacristy, or comes in the church, steals the joy box and all of the offering. Or it might be a high-ranking politician who's taking bribes. This is this kind of distinction that was in his mind. This is kind of the distinction that, to be honest, we often have when we look at people that are within the us and them categories. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying, Thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. This is the image, right, that we have. Someone showing, displaying their devotion and piety to those around them, keeping every letter of the law, probably so unlike they're so unlike the riffraff of the day, thieves, rogues, reprobates, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, as we heard being pointed to. And I want to share that this has been the prominent image of Pharisees that I've carried around for most of my life. But thanks to the work of some biblical scholars over the last few decades, we have learned that we may have projected things onto them that weren't necessarily true. Craig Keener, one of those scholars, he tells us, in fact, that Jewish people considered it pious, that is, virtuous and godly, to thank God for one's righteousness, rather than taking credit for oneself. And so what we want to hear is that the first people who heard this parable would not have thought of the Pharisees as braggarts or boastful, but rather as grateful to God for the Pharisees' devotion and piety. Now, if we were to consider what Pharisees might look like in our own context, we could use the example of someone holding to the Orthodox Christian historic and biblical faith, but holding to this as the means of their righteousness before God, as opposed to knowing their righteousness and forgiveness through the falling on the mercies of God shown to us in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So in our minds, we want to therefore see the Pharisees as not always being the self-righteous ones we interpret them to be, though this is from time to time quite clearly the case in the New Testament. So we want to let this difference, this, this interpretation that we have a bias towards, just arrest in our minds as we continue. But the tax collector, again, standing far off, wouldn't even look up at heaven. But he was beating his breast. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now notice here that the despicable tax collector wouldn't even look up to heaven as he prays. Though lifting one's eyes and hands toward heaven was a common practice 
when praying and responding to the character and faithfulness of God and his holiness. Instead, we read in verse 13 that he was beating his breast. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Signs of mourning and deep grief demonstrating his heartfelt repentance for his lifestyle, his sinfulness, his need for mercy in his life because he was so aware that the sin was so great. In other words, he had hit rock bottom and there wasn't a thing he could do. His need for mercy was so great that he couldn't hold anyone in contempt, even those that he may have perhaps in the past considered more despicable than himself. And I just want to put out there that perhaps you've known this place. Perhaps even now you know this place. This morning you may know this place where the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life is so great that with a healthy reverent fear of the Holy One, you cry out for his loving mercy and grace through the faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and liberty from those things that haunt, condemn, have entrapped us, have brought us into a place of despair without any hope. See, Romans 8, Paul writes that there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation as we turn to the mercy of God seen in Jesus Christ. And so we can pray, Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. And perhaps this is something in your life that you're wrestling with, and I just invite you after the service to join me and others up there in the high altar as we can give these things to the Lord, as we can ask for his forgiveness. Maybe it's a recommitment in life. We find ourselves going down a road or trapped or caught in a circle of addiction and we're so embedded in it that we don't know who we can reach out to anymore. I appreciate the way Ronald Rollheiser brings this into focus in the posture of the tax collector. To live into fear of God means that we live before God and the rest of reality in such a way there's never contempt within us. We take nothing for granted. Everything is a gift. We have respect. We are always poised for surprise before the mystery of God, others, and ourselves. All boredom and contempt is an infallible sign that we've fallen out of a healthy fear of God. Boom. And so, while we're grateful for the mercy and grace we've known and will continue to know through Jesus Christ, we are always dependent, and we come to see that we can be joyfully thankful in our worship for the mercy of God, because it's so great. And we continue to rely on it. And that's why we pray every service, Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, 
have mercy upon us. And that mercy, friends, lamentation reminds us three, that God's compassions and mercies are new when? Every morning. Yeah, because you know the country song with those words in it, don't you? I told you a few weeks ago, those country songs that drive us crazy always have this diamond and truth in it somewhere else. Am I right? Well, I don't, I don't know. It's getting weird. That's all I can say. Jesus tells that, the contrast of the two figures, the one who's crying out for mercy and help, and the one who is, in, in essence, giving thank to God, thanks to God for himself. It's almost as if he's praying for himself for being, living a pious and devoted life. And Jesus says, I tell you, the man, this, this man, the tax collector, that is, went down to his home justified rather than the, than the other. Why? Because for all who exalt themselves, lift up themselves to tell the world of their righteousness and their purity, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Why is that? Because God receives us and loves us even more dearly when we turn back and say, Father, forgive me for this. It brings joy to the Father. And it brings joy to us, this endless grace that we have. Interestingly, that Jesus' conclusion to this parable would actually blow the minds of the original uh, hearers of this parable. And it only fails to shock us today because we are so accustomed to the parable. So let me just say a few words, and I want to share some things that Tom Wright has said, looking at this parable so we can get just a very deeply parsed interpretation of these two characters. He says that in this parable, we see first a religious person described. The Pharisee in the temple has already turned it into a contest. It's his prayer, which consists simply of telling God all about his own good points, ends up exalting himself by this simple expedient of denouncing the tax collector. See, one of the ways that we can build ourselves or reaffirm ourselves is to compare and judge other people. We do it, we do it all the time, followers of Christ. Hope those people don't show up. Those people really aren't Christians. Look at that dirt. Look at, that person doesn't have any responsibility. All these people do is ask for stuff. They're so useless, they're helpless. Listen to that gossip over there talking her face off, his face off. What else would it look like? Contempt. I'm glad I'm not like that person. Right? And it happens in families. It happens between spouses. It happens at work. Deep, deep contempt for those that are not like us. 
Wright, however, says that the tax collector is the one whose small faith sees through to the great heart of God and he casts himself on the divine mercy. And Jesus reveals what the divine judge would say about this, the tax collector, not the Pharisee, returned home vindicated. So if we were just to go to the bottom, just bottom line, we have these two, ca- these two characters where the tax collector knows he's a sinner. Do you know you're a sinner? Even if you're saved by grace, do you know you're still a sinner? You're a saint, yes, and you're a sinner. It's weird, eh? It's this paradox. We are saved by God through faith in Christ Jesus, whose spirit has come to indwell in us, right? We're all saints. It's not just Teresa and John Paul and We are all saints if we follow Christ and claim our obedience to him. But we're also sinners, meaning that as Jesus, by the Spirit, continues to bring change and transformation in our life, we still have a proclivity to that direction. And that's why we want to be accountable with each other, right? That's why we need brothers and sisters that we can talk to. Yesterday morning, we had this men's breakfast, one of the first big get-togethers, and it was 27 guys showed up. And it was amazing. Because we just sat and one of them shared from his heart about struggles he was going through. We prayed. It was just, and I thought, you know, this is just such a gift. Um, I had been traveling for the diocese. I came home. I was tired. I walked in and I went, wow, (laughs) look at these guys. Like they're loving one another. And some of the conversations going around, it says, you know, I really want to be with others. We need to do more together. We need to develop friendships. And I know that's very important to myself. We need one another. We need to be able to recognize that at our heart, we need continual mercy. Joyfully. Not rolling around in manure, saying, oh, poor me. But being thankful for the never-ending mercy of our Lord Jesus. So I don't know who you identify with this morning. Maybe you identify with both. On the one hand, you're thankful for the righteousness you know in Jesus and most thankful that you do everything around the church or you're not like those people over there. Or you're at the bottom of the barrel and you're crying out for mercy. It's there. It's there. The Lord is good and he calls us to himself. So just before we pray, I just want to remind you, if you want to pray up at the hall, high altar after, please come forward. There's no guesses. It's safe. Um, But let's just come to the Lord together to know his mercy and grace even more. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Father, we thank you for the wild, holy mercy that you have poured onto and into us through the death, resurrection of Jesus for the gift of your spirit 
who is at work in our lives, pointing us to Jesus, trusting Jesus, following Jesus. And we thank you that we can keep coming back, saying, more mercy, <laughs> more mercy, Lord. Um, we pray this today. And so as we think of ourselves as community and not just individualistic consumer Christians, we do seek mercy. We, we pray mercy for us as a community. We pray mercy for us as we continue to discern ways in which we can serve, love, and evangelize in this community. Ways in which we can evangelize to one another and others can evangelize us. And so we do ask for a deep outpouring and anointing of your spirit today. That your mercy is so great. That it never stops. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us.